All right, party people, come on back in. We're going to get started here. Man. Uh, honestly, that's really cool. I, one of the things that's encouraging is each week as we're progressing as a church, I feel like we call this time family time. I know it sounds corny, but we really believe the church is a family. Uh, we're going through this series, What is the Church? And like literally the most fundamental, basic, kind of foundational uh, way to define the church is the family of God. He's our father, right? But I love that during our family times, like week one, guys, was so awkward. Nobody wanted to talk to each other. And it was like, okay, we're going to get started. And the moment I finished saying we're going to get started, it was like already silent. Everyone's already sitting down. No one's talking. And I, f- I feel like uh, I'm watching each week progressively get like, there's like a lingering before we actually get settled in, which is kind of cool. So hopefully, hopefully we can maintain like a happy medium to where it's like, oh, actually enjoying conversation and stuff, but not like, oh my like, guys, please sit down. I really want to get started, please. So no, I'm I'm really encouraged, guys. Uh, quick couple of things. Uh, a couple of you asked me, next week Christmas Eve, no gathering. The following week, the 31st, New Year's Eve, the party, and then the next week we'll be back in here, the 7th of January, and we're going to start a new series. I'm really excited about it. We're going to be start going through the book of Galatians. Um, we're going to go through a series called Grace Alone, and we're really going to be like hitting hard how grace is what saves us. Grace is literally the point, like not the point, but it's the core of Christianity. Not not works, not what you do, not trying harder, not no. Like grace is not just our message, it's our motivation. We're gonna go through the book of Galatians. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. So I'm excited for that. <clears throat> Tonight is is a cool night because we're finishing up this series, What is the Church? And we've been wanting to ask ourselves the question: like, what does the Bible say the church is? We can get information from secular culture. We can get information from um, church culture, from Christian culture, and all that's fine. But, like, we want to be people who submit to the word of God. And, God, what, what is the church? If, if that's what's going to be planted, what is that actually going to be? We want to be on the same page. So we've been going through this series tonight. We're finishing it off. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. Grab your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That's where we're going to be tonight. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Um, and while you're finding your spot, uh, I want to tell you a a story. When I was 13 years old, um, Pops took me backpacking uh, on the San Jacinto Mountain. It was like 10,000 feet or something above sea level. (laughs) 10.9, he knows. So just under 11,000 feet above sea level is the peak of this mountain. So I'm 13 years old. Pops takes me on this backpacking trip. We're literally, we're setting out like we have everything that we would need for multiple days on a mountain on our backs, okay? And the whole point of that trip was to get to the top of the mountain. We, 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 like I said, we brought all of our supplies to like carry us along on this journey without dying. Uh, we, we, we'd, we'd walk, we'd hike for hours, and then we'd kind of set up camp and crash and, and you know, build a tent quick and, and fall asleep and then wake up the next morning and, and, and keep going up the mountain, right? The point of that whole trip was to get on top of this mountain. And honestly, I remember being like, I was like a young boy. I was a teenager. I was 13. And I wasn't like, <clears throat> I was more excited about just hanging out with dad than I was about like, you know, summiting this mountain. But I remember being like really tired. But I remember getting to the top of this mountain and it was a beautiful day. It was clear. And I, rem- I can remember the views still. It was just like panoramic. 
as far as you could see, it was, it was gorgeous. The views were spectacular. Everything that we did on that trip served the purpose of the mission of getting to the top of that mountain. When you think about your life today, like how things are going in this crazy holiday season, when you think about your life right now, what mission do you find yourself on? Like what mountain are you trying to climb right now? Maybe it's like the mountain or the mission of being financially stable, whatever that means. Maybe you're on the mission of like summiting the mountain of romance, whether you're married or not. Maybe you are on the mission of summiting the mountain of like your career and advancing your career. Or maybe you just like simply just want to be happy. It was interesting. I, 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 I have a terrible memory, guys, and I wish I could tell you the, the, the name of the man who I'm quoting right now, but there's, there's this guy, and he quoted, uh, or he has a quote that says, um, that defines happiness in Western culture, so us, basically, that happiness could be defined as having more. Like, that's how most Westerners would define happiness, as having more. But here's the thing about that. That means you can never really attain it. If it's having more, you're always going to want more, so therefore you can't ever really attain happiness. Friends, tonight as we wrap up this series about what the church is, we're going to talk about what the mission is for the follower of Jesus. Okay, What is the mountain that the follower of Jesus is trying to summit? What is the mission? We're going to talk about how the church, the people of God, it's not a business, it's not a building, it's not an event. The Bible, we've been going through this. The, The church is the people of God. We're going to talk about how the church, the people of God, is an army on a mission to advance God's kingdom, okay? So before we jump into the scriptures, I would love to pray. Will you pray for me? I feel like today, guys, I'm like, I'm doing the best I can. I'm kind of all over the place. So I'm going to pray for our time. Would you pray for me and just pray that God would speak to us and encourage us tonight? That's why we're here. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you love us. That's true. No matter how we feel, no matter what we kind of try to, the thoughts we try to synthesize in our heads, um, you really call the shots. And I thank you for that. That brings me peace and security. And I pray that tonight you really would show us um, and kind of enlighten us to the areas that we're on mission in our lives, like what we're trying to accomplish, what's the agenda that we have. And I pray that through that, God, you would, in, um, you would bring about change and transformation in our heart as we see the mission that you're on. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 3 through 5, okay? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. <clears throat> For though we... He's talking about Christians. He's talking to the church. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. For though we, Christians, the church, walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse 5, we destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay, there's a ton in, the, in these verses here. We're going to talk about three things tonight. The first is this. What is this war? 
okay? What is this war? The second thing, how do we fight it? What does it look like to fight? And the third thing is, why does that even matter, okay? What's the war? How do we fight it? And why does it matter? Let's jump in. What is the war? Okay, Paul's saying that the Christian, whether you like it or not, whether you want to or not, the Christian is involved in a war, okay? That's a, that's a strong word. When you think about war, war is kind of gnarly. Paul's saying that whether you like it or not, the Christian is involved in a war, but it's not a normal war. It's not like a war with guns. It's not a war with like bombs. It's not a war with hand-to-hand combat even or tanks. He says it's a war that's waged not according to the flesh. It's a different kind of war. Paul is describing a spiritual war. Okay, you guys have heard the, the term spiritual warfare. Okay, think about war. In war, you have what? You have two or more parties that are in opposition to, against each other, right? Think about any war in the history of, of, of our country, in the history of the world. You have two or more parties in opposition of the other, okay? You have multiple parties willing to go to battle for what they want, for their agenda, okay? They have different agendas, but here's the thing. They each have a similar mission. Different agendas, but a similar mission because the mission of going to war is to advance a kingdom, You see this? Okay. So let's talk about who's involved in this war. Okay. Um, First, obviously, God. The next would be Satan, God's enemy. And the third would be every human who's ever lived. God, Satan, every human who's ever lived. Now, remember, the mission of going to war is to advance a kingdom, right? So listen, I'm sure you've heard about God's kingdom, right? Like the kingdom of God. Maybe you've even said or heard the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea of God's kingdom, right? So what exactly is God's kingdom? Well, in God's kingdom, God is king. That means he rules. He reigns. He sits on the throne. He calls the shots. That's what a king does. He decrees. He rules. He reigns. That means that everything in God's kingdom obeys him. Everything. But not like out of obligation or duty, but from the heart, authentically, out of love. Like we were talking about earlier, it's, it's almost Christmas. It's like a week away. It's crazy. <clears throat> what do we celebrate at Christmas? There we go. Louder, JC. Yes, Jesus' birthday. Okay, we celebrate Jesus' birthday. We celebrate God putting on flesh coming to earth. Okay, why did Jesus come? Luke uh, chapter four, go ahead and flip there. Luke chapter four and verse 43, Jesus tells us specifically why he came, why he put on flesh, why he came to earth, why we celebrate Christmas, the whole nine yards, okay? Luke chapter four, verse 43, but he, Jesus, said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. In Jesus' own words, he came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So Jesus, he comes on a mission to advance God's kingdom. Okay, but here's, there's a problem here. There's a problem because each of us is on a mission as well to advance a kingdom. 
The mission that I find myself on far too often is the mission of advancing my kingdom, Tom's kingdom. My rule, my reign, my way, what I want. And here's the thing, though. I think oftentimes we we do try to sprinkle a little bit of what God wants in there. So it's not just totally 100% exclusive what I want. We, we try to sprinkle a little bit of what God wants in there too, but only to the degree that it fits in my plans. Like, I'll give a little bit of money, but I'm not going to give sacrificially. <clears throat> in my kingdom, my money belongs to me, not God. Like, I'll confess some sins. Okay, I'll tell you the things that are, like, impressive, but the things that are kind of, like, gross, I'm not going to tell you those. Because in my kingdom, I prefer to remain hidden. I don't want to walk in the light. I'll serve the needs of others when it's convenient, right? If I can meet a need and it's also simultaneously convenient for me, cool. Because in my, in my kingdom, my life exists for my benefit first. Building my kingdom is about advancing my way. Listen, I'm not the only one. You're just like me. I think if we take a sober look at our lives, we recognize I'm pretty self-centered most of the time. That's what it looks like to advance and be on the mission of advancing my kingdom. It's about advancing my way. So here's what's crazy. Consider our planet, okay? Consider our planet. Did you know, okay, there's 7.6 billion people in the world. That's a lot of people, okay? That means there's 7.6 billion rival kingdoms all at war with each other, okay? What's the result of that? Think about this. What's the result of that many kingdoms colliding and battling each other? Poverty. Think about it. You can't be rich unless someone else is poor. Injustice. The collision of these kingdoms, discrimination, racism, it's all a result of self-centered kingdoms colliding. It's my will versus your will. Winner take all, baby. It's a battle. It's war. And the root of all sin, that the core of sin is this idea of selfishness. Me over you. Me ahead of you. My way over your way. My will over your will. Because we want to call the shots, man. We want to do things our way. I have toddler. I have, I have young girls living in my house. They're amazing. But man, they can battle for their will. I want this. Daddy, I want this. Daddy, it's like every day, okay? No one has to train us to fight for our kingdom. It just kind of happens, we want to call the shots. We want to do things our way. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed as being a pastor for um, over a decade now, which is crazy, um, <clears throat> there really is a really good number of people in America who are down and willing to go to church. They are. It's interesting. In America especially, there's a, there's a, a decent, solid number of people who will go to church, but when it comes to actually being the church, uh, no thanks. Like, I'm really busy. I don't know if I have time for that. I can attend it. But here's the thing, man. Did you know that there's no such thing as going to church in the Bible? 
Like, you won't find that. The idea of going to the church doesn't make sense biblically. That's why we've been, that's why we've been going through this series, honestly, the What is the Church series, is because we want to get on the same page about what the church actually is, biblically speaking. Because we can, we can shoot out definitions for ourselves all day long. And what do those do? Those fall in alignment with Tom's kingdom not necessarily under the alignment of God's kingdom. Instead of doing things our way, we want to learn about God's way. If he's creator, if what he says about himself is true, then I think it might be a really wise idea for us to follow him and trust him. We want to learn about God's way. We want to learn about what it looks like when God calls the shots, when he's the king and not me. To learn more about what God's kingdom looks like especially when it comes to a church. We're planning a church. What's that going to look like? Is it going to look like the way I want it to look, or is it going to look like the way the creator wants to fashion it, the way the creator has designed for it to look? You guys follow me with this? Not if you are. Okay, I know a lot of us are sick, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm still keeping you awake. <clears throat> but I think if we're honest and we take a sober look at our lives, the truth is we tend to be on the mission of advancing my kingdom, my agenda, way too often. I feel like, man, honestly, this week's been a, a difficult week for me because I've been confronted with this reality of, dude, I'm way more selfish than I thought I was. Like, I'm way more self-serving than I thought I was. I had tried to advance my own kingdom far too often. But friends, hear me say this. It's really important for each of us to recognize what mission we're actually giving ourselves to, what, what kingdom we're actually building, what kingdom we're actually advancing. And here's the thing, and this is huge, okay? God's mission to advance his kingdom it means that he has declared war on all other kingdoms. Think about this. It means God actively opposes all other kingdoms. He wants obedience to his rule and his reign as the king. He wants obedience to his will, but not out of obligation like a tyrant, not like Kim Jong-un, like God's nothing like him, okay? God wants obedience to his will, not of obligation. God's desires that his people, like the people that are in God's kingdom, would delightfully obey him. Guys, God's not a normal king, man. He's not a normal king. Normal kings, they use their power and their authority to benefit themselves. I think that's why our politics are as jacked up in this country as they are and as corrupt as they are is because men and women fail to realize <clears throat> that their authority does not exist for their benefit. It exists for the benefit of others. If God created this whole universe, that means that he sets, he sets the ground rules. <clears throat> and so oftentimes we want to hijack that for our own purposes and powers a way for me to exert my will and build and advance my kingdom. You see it in politics. You see it all over the place. And it leaves devastation. But God's not normal. He uses his power and authority to benefit others. He's different. Not only does he use it to benefit others, he uses his authority to bless the very people who reject him. The very people who are trying to advance rival kingdoms. People like you and people like me. I share with you, so oftentimes, 
I'll be, uh, the circumstances of my life will influence me to reject and rebel against God because I think I know better. God's different than me. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he leaves his throne in heaven. I mean, think about this. This is like an incredible, beautiful truth of the gospel. The king of the universe, Jesus, leaves his throne in heaven. He comes to earth to live perfectly in your place, the life you never could. Makes the right choice every time. And then he dies the death that you and I deserve for making the wrong choices of rejecting him, rebelling him, advancing and building our own kingdom. So he lives in our place. He dies in our place for every single one of your sins. Every single one of them. Guys, Jesus is a king who uses his authority to bless his enemies. It's crazy. It's beautiful. It's grace. That's my story, man. I spent years of my life rejecting and rebelling against God, wanting to do things my way, wanting to write my own story. And guess who the main character was in my story? I'll give you one guess. Yeah, it was me. And you know what that left me with? Starving. Dying of thirst. Like exhausted trying to validate myself trying to earn the approval of other people, trying to satisfy the longings of my heart. And it wasn't until I could see Jesus, that beautiful king, that good king, who uses his authority to put himself in my place and pay the debt of my sin with his blood. It changes you. Jesus is a king who uses authority to bless his enemies. Now listen, when you see God as the good king who uses his authority to sacrificially love you, you're going to gladly and delightfully obey him. Straight up. When you see the lengths that he's gone to, to put himself sacrificially in your place because he loves you, it will do something in your heart. It will transform you. It will absolutely transform you. So whether you like it or not, friends, there has been a war that's been declared. It's a battle, it's a battle over who's going to be king. <clears throat> God, Satan, or you. But a Christian is someone who says God and God alone is king. Only him, only he is king. And the church, the church is the people fighting to advance God's kingdom. Okay, you understanding this? Are you following me? Okay, that's the war. Okay, next point, how do we fight it? Paul gives us very two, he gives us very practical things. He gives us two ways to fight in verse Uh, five here. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay. Let me sum this up for you. He says, we fight in two ways. We fight first and foremost by believing the truth about God. And the second way is by obeying God. Okay. Believing the truth about God and obeying God. Let's talk about believing the truth. He says, we fight against arguments and opinions that are against the knowledge of God. So what is the knowledge of God? The knowledge of God is who he is, his character, his attributes. God's kind. He's kind when you're not. His kindness isn't dependent on your kindness. He's faithful. He's faithful when you're not. His faithfulness isn't dependent on your faithfulness. He's just. 
He will not let evil go unpunished. Who is God? His character, his attributes. He's loving. <clears throat> the knowledge of God, who is God? And it's also what he's done. It's his track record. God comes to earth, puts on flesh, dies on the cross, okay? Humbles himself. The king of the universe enters into a place where everybody's rejected him to love those same people that have rejected him and dies a brutal death to redeem those people, to forgive them of their sin, to extend grace to them, to give them what they don't deserve, that they couldn't obtain, they couldn't earn themselves. Guys, this is beautiful. What God has done, he offers us his perfect record. Jesus' perfection gets offered to us as a gift that all we have to do is accept. Who is God? What has God done? That's the knowledge of God. That's what, Peter, that's what Paul is talking about here. He says the first way we fight is by not believing lies about God. Not believing lies about who he is, his character, his attributes, and not believing lies about what he's done. Okay? So what are the lies that we tend to believe as people? Think about this. What about this one? God doesn't care. My situation sucks and God doesn't care. It's really hard. I hate it. He doesn't care about me. My circumstances are awful. He must not care. What about this one? God's absent. He's not. He doesn't. He's distant. He's absent. He's, he's too busy for me. Little old me, I'm just, you know, whatever. What about this? Even if God could do something to help my situation, he's not going to. He's absent. He's distant. He doesn't care. What about this? Like, I know I'm alive, right? Like, I have air in my lungs. I'm living today, so maybe God tolerates me. But he certainly doesn't love me. Guys, there's so many more lies. But here's the thing. Many of the lies that we believe about God, they're a result of thinking with a religious mindset. Religion is different than Christianity. It just is. They're, they're, they're like in opposition to, the, to each other. <clears throat> because here's, what, here's the premise of religion in general. Religion in general says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. I do the right things and I don't do the wrong things, therefore I'm acceptable. I've earned it. Do you see this? I have merit. That's religion. The problem is that all of us disobey. Like, a lot. The problem is, a lot of us oftentimes are self-centered, self-focused. Me, me, me. I disobey, right? So here's the thing. <clears throat> Wouldn't that then lead to God not accepting us? If religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God, and I disobey, then he must not accept me. Now, what do I do? I got to try harder. I got to do more. I got to obey more to earn back his love and his favor and his kindness and his blessing. That's religion. If I disobey, God loves me less. If I disobey, God cares about me less. <clears throat> You need to understand something. You need to know that religion is based on a lie about God. And that lie is that God's love and acceptance can be earned. 
the truth about Christianity, the truth about God, the truth of the gospel is not I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. No, the truth of the gospel is I'm accepted by God through Jesus, therefore I obey. I don't obey to receive God's love and blessing. I obey him because he loves me and has blessed me. Do you see this? It's obedience out of a place of acceptance, not for acceptance. Are you following me with this? This is like a massive truth. If you, if you get this, if this takes a hold of your brain, it will transform your life. It will absolutely transform your life. Listen, guys, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it squashes all the lies about God. It literally, like, forgive the pun, but it kills them. Like, it just takes them out because Jesus is the proof. He's the proof that God does care. He's the proof that God isn't absent. Uh, with this the Christmas, Emmanuel, you've heard this. Like God's name is Emmanuel. It literally means God with us. It means he's present. It means he's not absent. He's not distant. He's with us. He came. He took on flesh. That's the truth. God's not absent. Not only can God, can God help our situation, but he did. He did help our situation. Jesus' perfect life in your place and then death in your place is proof that God not only tolerates you, my friend, he loves you passionately. It's proof. Guys, we are in the middle of a war. You are in the middle of a war whether you like it or not. But listen, it's not bombs and bullets being fired at you. It's lies. It's lies. Revelations chapter 12 says, uh, it tells us that Satan, that he's at work. And he's at work deceiving the world. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. His main strategy is to get you to believe lies about who God is and what God's done. Like, do you see this? Listen to me, your worth is not associated with what you do. Your worth is not associated with how you look. Your worth is not associated by how much money is in your bank account, man. But culture, influenced by Satan, wants you to believe that that's the truest thing about you. Because if he can convince you of a lie about God, then he can absolutely, like it changes your view, it changes your identity, and then it changes your behavior. You were created to be thirsty. You were created to have desire. God wants you to desire because he created you to be in this intimate relationship with him where your desires are met by him. Satan knows that. So if he can convince you of a lie, guess what? Now your desire, oh, it can't be met here or it's met more effectively there, I will go there. Are you guys tracking with this? The first way we fight in the war is by believing the truth about God and then Paul tells us the second way we fight is to obey him. Okay, but here's the thing. If you believe the truth about God, check this out, you will obey him. It's like a cause and effect thing. 
Okay, did you know that every sin is a result of, of believing a lie about God? Every single sin, no matter how big, no matter how small, is a result of believing a lie about God. There's a fantastic book by this British pastor. His name's Tim Chester. He wrote this book called You Can Change, and it's all about this idea of how, um, how, how believing lies about God affects our life in negative ways. Okay, check. I want to read this quote. I have two quotes, but this is the first one. He says this. Um, he says, We sin because we believe the lie that we are better off without God, that his rule is oppressive, that we will be free without him that sin offers more than God. Paul talks about, the Apostle Paul talks about the same exact concept in Romans chapter one. I want to read this to you. Romans one, uh, verses 24 and 25. I'll read it. Perk up, listen. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Listen to this. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, listen. He says that God gives us over to our sins, our sinful desires, because they exchange the truth about God for a lie. Are you seeing this? You seeing the deception? You seeing how what we believe informs what we do? <clears throat> Think about the sins in your life, guys. Think about the things that you struggle with, big or small, okay? I'm not gonna ask you to share them up on the stage, but think about the sins in your life. But don't think about what you do primarily. Think about why you do it. Think about your motivation. Think about your heart. Because that's ultimately the sin. Okay, I've used this example before. Just someone, I'll take two seconds. Like if we go out to lunch and I pick up the tab, that might sound like a really nice thing. On the surface, it might look, oh, that's really kind, it's generous. But if my motivation for doing that is to get you to like me more, I used you. I used you for approval. And on the outside, that looks really nice, but on the inside, that's evil. I dehumanized you. Are you tracking with this? Okay? This idea of what motivates us, that's really where the sin is, okay? So... I might, let's use, the, like, let's use everybody's lied in their life, okay? I might lie, right? Because I want others to approve of me. I might embellish because I want to get their approval and look cool or whatever. Why would I do that? Because I believe the lie that God's approval of me isn't enough. This is one that been, I've been convicted of lately is this idea of overworking, like one of the Ten Commandments, like observe the Sabbath. Okay, not religiously, but because we're a created being who needs to rest and not just work. Okay, rest at a soul level and at a physical level. Okay, so I might overwork. Why? Because I feel the need to prove myself or to justify myself or to meet all of my family's needs. So I'm gonna work 80 hours a week to get I, overtime, 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 overtime. Or I need to impress my boss or I need to justify myself. I'm just gonna keep working. Why would I do that? Well, if I believe the lie that God isn't trustworthy, that he doesn't care about my needs and he won't meet my needs, or that he's not really my provider, or I believe I'm on my own, if I believe those lies, then it's going to manifest itself in the sin of overworking. Do you see this? Guys, every sin is a result of believing a lie about God. 
about not believing the truth. I want to read you one more quote from Chester. He goes on to say this. This is so crazy. Listen. Not many Christians think of themselves as unbelievers. After all, we normally use the term to describe people who aren't Christians at all. The problems lie in the gap between what we believe in theory and what we believe in practice. Believing a concept, this idea of theory, and what we believe in practice are two very different things. That's his point. That's the, Apostle's Paul, that's the Apostle Paul's point in Romans 1. The truth is what we do reveals what we are actually believing. Are you seeing this? This is huge. The way we fight in this spiritual war is by believing the truth about God and obeying him. I need to share... I need to share one more thing about Satan's lies with you, okay? One of the lies that Satan wants you to believe <clears throat> is the lie that you can actually advance your own kingdom. The truth is, the moment you reject God as king by disobeying him, which I do all the time, the moment we reject God as king by disobeying him, guess whose kingdom we just join forces with? Think about it. Satan's. The truth is the war really isn't God's kingdom versus Satan's kingdom versus Tom's kingdom. It's God's kingdom versus Satan's kingdom. When we're believing the lie that we can be king, it means that Satan has recruited us to share in the same mission as him. Rebellion against God's rule and God's reign. Do you see that? My heart and my prayer is for myself and for all of us in this room that we would not be men and women who are easily deceived. And part of the role of being the church is helping each other, protecting each other from believing the lies that would manifest itself as sin in our life, that would hurt us, hurt the people around us. So we fight back by believing the truth about God, by not being deceived and by obeying him. All right, I'm going to close with this. You guys can come on up. The last thing, right? Why does it matter? <clears throat> Why does this even matter? Whether, whether we like it or not, we're in the middle of war. Whether you want to be or not, you are in the middle of a war where every choice you make, big or small, advances a kingdom. Hear me say that. Whatever choice you make, big or small, advances a kingdom. So your obedience to God, my obedience to God, has massive implications. <clears throat> what you and I do matters. What you and I don't do matters. Why? Because it advances a kingdom. We talked about it earlier, but remember why Jesus says he came to earth. In his own words, Jesus says, I came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So hear me say this. Only one kingdom is good news. Only one kingdom is good news because only one kingdom has a good king. Guys, only Jesus is a king who doesn't use his authority to benefit himself. He uses it to bless his rivals, those in opposition to him.
Guys, God's kingdom is incredible. It's amazing. And God's kingdom's sinful rebellion is transformed into delightful obedience. And God's kingdom self-centeredness is transformed into living for the benefit of others. Not to get anything from them. In God's kingdom, enemies of God become beloved sons and daughters. Intimately related, sinners become saints, rebels become disciples. Communities are redeemed and churches are born. What is the church? It's the family of God. It's the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. Only God's kingdom has the power to transform and redeem Oh, guys, the church is an army. It's the people fighting to advance God's kingdom by believing the gospel and obeying him. That's what the church is. Guys, did you know that's God's plan to redeem everything? All that's broken, all that's messed up, all that's wrong with creation. God's plan to redeem it all. It's the spirit of God ruling and reigning in the hearts of his people. Replacing evil and sin with love and grace and mercy. But it starts in the hearts of God's people. And it ends with all of creation coming under the rule and the reign of the good King Jesus. Guys, your simple, tiny acts of obedience, they bring the kingdom of God. Think about that. That's spectacular. Like, put that on your job resume. Like, I don't care what, where you went to school. I don't care what your degree's in. You could be like, when I obey God, I usher in his, his kingdom. That's crazy. That's supernatural. That's cosmic. We usher in the kingdom of God. And friends, the kingdom of God brings transformation. It changes things. So many of us are concerned with what our calling is. I hear this all the time. God, what are you calling me to? What are you calling me to? The problem is that we're viewing it through the lens of building my kingdom, not God's. God, what are you calling me to in my career? Like, What does it look like? What are you calling me to? God, are you calling me to get married? Are you calling me to stay married? Or what are you calling me to? God, I want my life to look a certain way. Like, how do I make that a reality? God, what are you calling me to? What's my next step? My friend, God is calling you first and foremost to obey him. That's the primary call of your entire life. That means your career is incredibly important. But maybe not for the reasons that you think. Your career becomes less about your identity and purpose and instead it becomes an environment where you display what the kingdom of God is like. What a good king is like. It means your sexuality, your love life becomes incredibly important. 
It becomes less about your satisfaction or approval and instead becomes an environment where you display what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God has the power to transform. Hear me say this. Has the power to transform like brokenness into something beautiful. Guys, we're planning a church. It's literally what God is doing. A team of people moved here. Most of you are reorienting your lives about growing in relationship and getting connected. It's a beautiful thing. My heart leaps. I think about you guys all week. I think about your faces. I think about your names. And I pray that God would bless you with his presence. Like God's cultivating something. It's beautiful. But he's planning a church, not an event, not a business, a people fighting to advance God's kingdom by believing the gospel and obeying God. We're in the middle of a war. If we're going to capture ground from the enemy, it starts with God capturing your heart. Let's start with this ground. King Jesus creator of all things, the most important being ever leaves his throne in heaven. Angels worshiping him eternally. He leaves his throne in heaven on a mission to transform and redeem you. With his love, with his mercy, with his grace, the king of all the kings exchanges a heavenly crown for a crown of thorns. Why? Because he loves you. The cross is proof. The cross is proof of his love and proof that he's good and proof that he's trustworthy. So here's what I want to do tonight. I believe God has hard work to do every time we gather. And tonight, I think it looks like this. I want to invite you to lay the burdens that you're carrying up the mountain like I was with my dad when I was 13. The burdens on your back, I invite you to lay them down. You're carrying them. and You don't need to do it alone. I invite you to lay them down at the feet of the good King Jesus who cares for you. I invite you to experience the good news of Jesus being the king of your life and not you. If Jesus is telling the truth, then it's good news that he's king. I invite you to experience that. Because listen, as God rules and reigns in the hearts of the people of this church, the result will be that his kingdom comes. in us and through us. He will bring transformation, friends. He promises to do it. He has an agenda. It's a war. He's fighting a battle. His agenda is to bring his kingdom. He's going to do it in us. He's going to do it through us. And what's going to happen? It's going to have an effect on this valley. It's going to start here. And the ripple effects are going to go here to this valley and then this country and then to the planet. A broken place that's desperately in need of a good king because we're crummy ones. I invite you, lay down your burdens. Experience what it's like to have the good king care for you. Let me pray for us, okay? God, we love you, but you love us so much more. I pray for those who have been like just kind of battling with you 
I think so oftentimes I've, I really have like resisted your authority in my life. And I know I'm not alone in that. So I pray for those of us that have been just kind of struggling with trusting you maybe or submitting to you because we are believing lies about you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would inform us with the truth supernaturally. I know I need it. I believe the lies all the time. I pray for those that are carrying a burden and they're doing it alone or maybe with like one other person. Jesus, you're a king who uses authority in completely radical ways. You carry burdens for others. You don't add to the load. You take off the shoulders. It's beautiful. Can we experience that tonight, Holy Spirit? Can each of us experience that? May we? I appeal to your mercy, God. I appeal to your character. I claim the truth about who you are in this moment. For my, my brothers and my sisters in this room, I claim the truth about who you are. You're kind. You're present. You're faithful. You care deeply and passionately. Spirit of God, help us to experience that. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.